Amen? Yeah. All right, I can deal with that. I can handle it. If you don't know who I am, I'm the high school pastor, hence the, hey, I need you to be my energy for me today. Um, I've had like half a Red Bull and some green tea, so I got a little caffeine in me. Um, I didn't do a whole Red Bull because they're bad for you, so, you know, at least half one. Um, but it is my privilege to be able to be here this morning to be able to help close out this series, um, The Pursuit of Us, as we've been walking through the book of Jonah and kind of highlighting some some important things, some cool things. Um, and you guys, I, I think what's, what's interesting is, uh, as, a, as a pastor who has to, uh, you know, Steve has to do this every weekend most of the time, you know, unless there's like me here or one of the other guys. But we get the, 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 the opportunity, I should say, to be able to have a Saturday service and then I get to go, oh, I didn't realize that. So like last night, you know, I get done preaching and somebody goes, so why, did, why is the book of Jonah in the Bible, and I went, I thought I kind of talked about that, you know, um, but, but, you know, I did, it's not that I didn't, you're like, oh, hopefully it's a good sermon, I pray it is too, um, but understanding and getting to a point, honestly, to where we go, hey, we can see these books, and we can have this knowledge, but it, it, it all has to do with how we apply the knowledge, what is the knowledge about? Well, honestly, we can read through I mean, every book of the Bible and always put ourselves in the center of it. But when we look at the title and we see even this pursuit of us, and as we close out the series, we have to ask ourselves the question, like, what is it showing us about God? The, the, I mean, we, I mean, the pursuit of us, I mean, we're kind of in the title, but it's in order for that to be there, like the pursuit, somebody's got to be pursuing us. And we have to understand who's pursuing us. Why is he pursuing us? What is this thing that he's trying to show us? And not just so that we can benefit, because I think we already have the benefit of having the gospel, amen? But, but how do we benefit from growing in our understanding and knowledge, wisdom, and all these things so that we can trust and obey and follow Jesus better every single day? And so, so as I walk through this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to highlight a few things. There's four important kind of like, I guess, structures that will kind of break down, um, but also just how that shows us our heart towards God and how we can understand him a little bit better. So I'd love for us to read it. We're going to be in Jonah chapter 4, if you didn't already kind of get it from the screen. Um, Jonah chapter 4. And up until now, um, I'm going to kind of break down the, the literary rhythm, okay? Um, because it's important, and we'll, we'll, we'll go through that later on, because we have to understand what's happening throughout these four short chapters in the book of Jonah, and again, how that's pointing us and pushing us towards an understanding and our pursuit of God as he pursues us, even when we don't sometimes. But we have this first chapter where God gave a command, right? Arise, go to Nineveh, this great city, their evil has come up before me, and go and tell them to repent of their sins. And what happens? Jonah goes in and tells them, right? I'm going to do the high school thing. Are we paying attention, ladies and gentlemen? Does Jonah go to Nineveh? Okay, thank you. Yeah, it's going to work out great today, I promise. He flees. He tries to go as far away in the opposite direction as possible, as far east as he can get. And he goes on this ship in Joppa, and he gets on the boat. And then what happens? He gets to Tarshish, right? No. 
Lord appoints the storm and then the people on the boat, a small group of people, but a group of people nonetheless, right? They, 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 they're like, what's going on? What has brought the storm? Pray to your God, pray to your God, pray to your God. And then it's like, this guy's asleep. Hey, wake up. You should be praying to your God. And he's like, it's because of me. Just throw me overboard. They're like, what? No, no, what's going on? They're like, no. And he's like, yeah, it's, you know, who do you worship? <laughs> the one that's doing all this. And they're like, well, we worship you too. They repent. They, like, they come to know who God is, the Lord God Almighty, the one true God. And Jonah's like, that's all fine. Like, it's going to continue to happen. Just throw me overboard. Throws overboard, gets swallowed up by the fish. Then we have this tension and encounter with God. Gets spit up, and then, again, Jonah gets this command. And again, we'll talk about this later because it's good to reiterate things because it's important to know what's going on and not just hear it once, but hear it a few times so we can retain the knowledge. So then Jonah goes to Nineveh, and then he preaches the gospel, right? Does he preach the gospel? Are we paying attention, ladies and gentlemen? Does he preach the gospel? He doesn't. What does he say? In 40 days, you will be overturned. I'm done. And then, like, walks out. And he doesn't even, like, go to the king in a heart. He gets to the king, and the king's like, we, I mean, the animals are going to fast and sit in the, like, like from the, the greatest to the least of them, he's like, we're all going to do this just in case there's any chance that God goes, the animals didn't do it either. And they're like, what? But it's a, <sighs> so they, they just do it. And so that's where we're kind of picking up because then we see this other peak tension that's happening. And again, we'll go over that later, but it's important that we know there's this tension, an encounter, a prayer, tension, an encounter, and then we're going to see another prayer. So we're going to start in the last verse in chapter 3 just because that's where it kind of, it goes from 0 to 60 with the the emotions and the attitude. Quick. So Jonah chapter 3, you should be in chapter 4. It's just the verse right before it. It's okay. Stick with me. You'll be all right. But verse 10, chapter 3 says, When God saw what they did, talking about the people and about how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster they had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Amen, hallelujah. Chapter 4, oh Jonah. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in love, and steadf- abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord says, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat at the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in, in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. So he's, he's kind of just like moping, sitting out. He's kind of like, there might be a chance for God to actually do something about these evil, wicked people. Even though the verse we read just before this was they, they repented of their sin. They're turned away from their evil and Jonah's still expecting something. We have to pay attention to those little tiny things. Verse 6, now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that he might be, uh, there might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plants. Notice he went from exceedingly angry to exceedingly glad. Was it because of God? Yes, right? Or was it because of something else? Are we paying attention, ladies and gentlemen? 
He was exceedingly happy because of the plants. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? Is that question again? The same emotion that's going through Jonah's heart? Nothing left. He, had exceedingly ang- he was exceedingly angry and then went from exceedingly glad. And then he's still exceedingly angry again, even with that gladness. So what happened? Do you do well to be angry for the plan? He said, yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. He's frustrated. He's, he's just going through it. He's sitting in the mess and he's, he's just like emotional. He's a wreck. And the Lord says, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from the left, and also much cattle? We see a few things that we're dealing with here, and and again, we're going to highlight some stuff that I think it's important for us to pay attention to. And again, not just us, and our hearts and our things, those things we need to pay attention. But, but what God is trying to show us, how God is trying to um, grow us in our understanding, because that's a big piece of it. I have a teenager. Well, let me take it back. I have a teenager that's going into high school. So my wife might disagree, but I'm like, I think you're officially a teenager when you're like 14 going into high school. And I'm like, when I was 13, I was like, I mean, yes, technically I'm a teenager, but I'm a teenager when I'm 14 and I'm in high school, I'm a freshman, like big things are happening in my life. Um, Little did I know some bigger things were going to happen and that was just, that was nothing. But I have a teenager now, so pray for me because I love her. She's not here this service. In fact, she might not sit in the service. I get to talk about all I want. But she's going through every bit of what teenagers go through. Right? The things that, the first thing I want to talk about is the things that are not fair. It's just not fair. We see, we see Jonah dealing with this mentality and just kind of going, it's just not fair. It doesn't matter the things that I constantly try and show her and all that stuff. Um, and much like most most teenagers, um, and not all, and, and I don't want to discredit their ability to be able to be mature and things like that, but there is a sense of wisdom of being able to go through life and experiences, understanding like, this may not be what I expected, but I, it, that's okay, because I know that there's something else that might happen, and I can, I can shift what, what, what happens in my heart and that kind of stuff. Like, there's some life experience that, that happens when you become an adult that allows you to kind of see past the but why questions I can't count how many times I've had to been told I don't know three four five six ten times something where I find like oh yeah and then I tell my wife she goes I told you that like three months ago and I'm just like well they said it different so that's not an excuse men don't say that just putting that out there but there's some things going on in our heart where when we look at this we go, well, I don't, I don't typically have that attitude and have that mentality. Well, but, but, but do we? Over the last couple um, weeks, we've been able to kind of look at Jonah and be able to define grace. Grace is being, these, the, uh, well, grace and, and mercy specifically, but these are things that are undeserved favor from him. And by him, I mean capital H, God, right? Him. 
undeserved favor. So how do we respond? Well, I think a lot of times, again, when we look at this, that's not fair attitude. Um, it's not necessarily we're just like, whatever, it's not fair. But we have prideful hearts. We have things that keep us from being able to look at a situation and deal with it in a mature way because of that pride. C.S. Lewis put it, I think, great when he said, according to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. It is pride which which, uh, has been the chief cause of misery in every nation and every family since the world began. So how does pride leverage action and response? When we're looking at Jonah and we see what he's going through and what's, what's going on in his heart, I, I, I think of ways with me and, 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 and my heart. I know I've gone through things where when I was a kid, you know, I was so excited because my dad's like, I'm going to get you a dirt bike. I love dirt bikes and all that kind of stuff. And then we went to the dirt bike dealership and I sat on one. I'm like, this is going to be amazing. This is the one. It was, it was Yamaha. That's all I remember. I don't remember what model it was for all the dirt bike people in the room. Um, but I was like, this is... This is going to happen. This is so cool. I'm going to ride dirt bikes. And then it, it just didn't work out. So I was frustrated and I was just like, well, I wish. And then in high school when I was looking for a job, you know, I, I grew up uh, in Rainbow Valley, if you know where Rainbow Valley's at. And I went to Estrella Foothills and I remember in Estrella Mountain there was a little pizza shop. It wasn't the pizza shop that's there now. There's still one there, a little Italian place. But it was a pizza shop. My friends worked there. I had a few that worked there and I was like, I'm going to get a job there. It's going to be so cool. I get to work with my friends and I get free pizza. I mean, what's what's a win-win? Unfortunately, that didn't happen and I was frustrated. And I was like, oh man, like what's going on? And as I got older and I had things like, you know, kids and a wife and bills and all the above. And I was working and working and working and I was putting in 60, 70, 80 hours some week and just, you know, making sure that my wife can take care of the kids and all that kind of stuff. And I just remember there was a position at my job. I worked in the medical field and I was like, this is it. This is perfect. By this time, I had found a relationship with Jesus. I was excited. I was praying. This is going to be great. It's more pay. It's better hours, more uh, uh, room for growth and improvement and advancement in the company. This is it. Lord, thank you for providing this opportunity. And then it didn't happen. And I'm just like, what? And even up until recently, when we were looking for a house with the market, it was like square footage, price, bedrooms, this is it. Lord, this is what we've been praying for. And then it's like, let's put an offer under contract. Okay, maybe that wasn't it. Okay, sorry, show me, what you, show me what you got. Show me what you got. And then got another one. Yes, this is it. Put an offer in under contract. And I'm just like, hold on. Wait a minute. This isn't going the way I expected. What's happening? the understanding. We get to a point where that pride doesn't just come across where we're like, I'm it, I'm the guy, like, I'm the best. But it's also like, this is what I expect. This is what I know to be the best possible situation. And God's like, but that's not what I have for you. That's not what I want for you. That's not my heart for you. That's not my will. And for Jonah, Jonah had this expectation, right? Right? Jonah's frustrated and he's angry 
And he says, is this not what I said? Is this not what I was thinking? You know, my heart, like, I knew this was going to happen. If I went to Nineveh, you were going to show grace and mercy. But they deserve justice. They're wicked people. They're bad people. And God's like, yeah. And so are you. Does it do you well to be angry? This unbearable offense for Jonah has caused him to get to the point where he's just like, I'd rather die. It's better for me to just die. And so then we have this idea of the runaway heart. This heart, again, when we talk about, again, not talking about about teenagers, it's just the mentality and that life experience and the growth and the maturity and all these kind of things where we have this heart that goes, I don't like that, so I'm going to run. And maybe they get to the very edge and they're just like, I can't cross the street without an adult because they're young. Or maybe they're a teenager and so I got nowhere to go. And they circle the block about a hundred times and they come home and be like, I'm still angry at you, but I got nowhere to go. Whatever the case may be, the heart posture is still the same. I don't like this, so I'm turning away from it. I'm resistant towards it. God was, or Jonah was resistant to what God was trying to show him, what God was trying to do through him, and what God was trying to work for these people. It had nothing to do with Jonah. God was like, this great city, my city, my creation, you're worried about this plant, but this is my creation. Their wickedness has come up against me. I'm worried about them. Jonah, it's bigger than you, way bigger than you. But Jonah's like, yeah, but I don't agree with it. The pride coming in. And we see this because Jonah knew what to expect in Jeremiah 18, verses 7 through 12. It talks about the prophet being called to go up. And he says, arise and go to the potter's house to tell my people that evil has come up against me. And if those that repent from their sins will not suffer the justice and the wrath, but instead the grace and the mercy. So Jonah's like, the wisdom, the fear of the Lord. I know what God is capable of. He's capable of justice and I see that and I think they deserve it. I also know he's capable of grace and mercy. So God, Jonah was like, I don't think they deserve that. And if I go, there's a possibility because he's done it and he said it before. And like, what do I do in this situation? Because for us, with our prideful runaway hearts, we think that grace and mercy and justice are two separate things for God. But God is sovereign. God is, God is it. God is the one. And they exist together. They're not separate things, but they are who God is not compromising one or the other. And when we get to the point where we say, I object, I don't like this. I'll tell you what, if you're in a courtroom and you're a lawyer and you tell the judge, I object, and he goes, on what grounds? And you go, because I don't like it. He's going to go, no, that's not how it works. We have to be able to understand what's going on, what we're objecting to. And if it's proper to object in the first place, if, it's, if, we're, if we have good standing to do that, we can't just do it because it's just not what we like. Not what we understand. Things that happen. Again, Jonah, getting to this point where he's so frustrated, he's rejecting, and again, the rebellious and prideful hearts will always walk us away from a growth opportunity instead of us being able to be Christ-like and grow and be able to show the love of Christ. So then we get to this idea of why. Well, we have to understand and wrestle with and reconcile with the idea that divine justice is, is, is encountered with divine mercy. Uh, a big part of pride in our understanding of things always comes back to how we expect things to happen. Again, it's not just a, the prideful thing of, I'm just the greatest thing since sliced bread. 
And maybe you think that. I pray you don't think that. But that's not always the case. Again, what did C.S. Lewis say? Pride is what sets everything else into motion. We put expectations on God. and We're not in that position. We say, I know. And God goes, well, so do I. I mean, I'm the one that designed it. I'm the one that created it. And I know me, there's been plenty of times where I've tried to put together a, a bed frame or a piece of what, furniture or whatever, and I go, I don't need the instructions. But, I mean, they're the ones that designed it, so there's probably bound to be something, and it never fails. I go, that must go somewhere. And sure enough, my wife goes, do you want the instructions? I go, nah, it's fine. It's, I mean, I can stand on it. It's strong. It's probably not going to fall apart. <laughs> that might just be for something that they intended, but, I mean, it doesn't really matter. I'm using it for something, and it's, it's working just fine. But... How long does that work until we finally run into something where it's like, I got to take this all back apart because this isn't going together the way I thought it was supposed to be. We have to understand that God is the, God is the one that designs things. God is the one that allows us to be able to sit in his creation and, and, and be a part of that. And when he's trying to show us something and tell us something, we should probably trust in the designer, right? The creator. Amen? I think that's a good way to kind of look at it. But here's the other thing. God doesn't need us. He desires that we're a part of the work that he alone is capable of. But he doesn't need us. But he wants us to be a part of it. He asks us to be a part of it. He invites us into these things, into these moments. And he invited Jonah. Like, God, Jonah, I've used you before. I've used you to accomplish my will and my work. And I'm trying to use you again to do this. And Jonah, you're, you're thinking about it from your perspective. And I hate to say this, but it's not all about you. But even in them, the lessons that we learn, I don't know what it is about some of the simple things that we deal with in life. Um, some of the foundational, simple truths that we try and instill in our kids and go, hey, you should do this and you should do this. And, you know, those kind of things that when we grow up and we become older and mature and, and we have a life and we get married and we have all these things that we feel like, I've already gone through that, now I'm ready for something else. Sometimes we need to go back to the basics. Because I'm telling you right now, there's times, you know, I, I, I do a lot of things. I'm involved in many things. But one of the things that, 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 I, that I do is uh, jiu-jitsu. Does anybody know what jiu-jitsu is? Some people, maybe? Yeah. Show of hands, okay. So it's, it's martial arts, it's, you know, kind of like the art of folding clothes when people are still in it, okay? But, but one of the things that I learned when you're dealing with disciplines like that is sometimes you have to relearn some of the basic fundamental things in order to make the more advanced things work. Simple things like being flexible and stretching. Simple things like knowing just the basics of like what these different moves and how do you transition from, from, from this thing to this thing. And again, it doesn't have to be this, but it's any kind of discipline. I mean, it could be basketball. Like, if you're like, my dribbling's not that good, well, then you should probably practice on dribbling, but I know how to dribble. Do you, though? This doesn't look like it. You keep losing the ball, and you, you know. Sometimes we're not exempt from the most basic things that God is trying to show us, and this book is, is no exception. 
trying to say, you say you understand grace and mercy and you say you understand what I'm capable of and the fear of the Lord and wisdom and all this stuff, but yet a lot of times we as Christians get to the point where we go, I can't believe that person cut me off. Look at I'm on, everyone's trying to get off the freeway, buddy, and you try to go to the front of the line and get in front of everybody. How dare you get to the back of the line? Or when we see somebody else be blessed, how dare they be blessed? I know who they are. So does God. So does God. But it, it's in our hearts. It's in our hearts. We do it constantly. It's frustrating at times. But here's the thing. To us, it seems like clashing of two separate things. For God, it's his sovereignty. Him being in control. Him being the one. His ability to show grace and truth without compromising either. Without compromising either. And then we get to this point where he's asking this question, Does it, do you do well to be angry? Do you do well to be angry? Because Jonah's so frustrated and God's just like, what, but what are you frustrated about? What is getting you angry? Are you really mad that I was able to, to have 120,000 plus people and even the cattle, don't forget the cattle, be able to come to repent of their sins? naive, don't know the right from the left hand. They just don't know. They needed somebody to tell them, Jonah, I tried to use you. And even when Jonah tried to resist, God still worked through him. And that can be frustrating as well. God still worked through him. These people didn't even hear the full God. Like, if, if Pastor Sean was right there with Jonah, he probably would have been like, Jonah, what are you doing? That's not it, bro. Let's walk through the track together. <laughs> But Jonah's like, 40 days will be overthrown. He walks away and he sits and he sulks and he's just like, hopefully God brings justice to this situation. And God's like, I mean, I could, but they repented. Did I not say if they repent that, that my creation, my design would not perish, but they would have life instead? Whoever puts their trust in me will be able to be with me? Again, we see this rhythm. God speaks to Jonah, gives a command. And then Jonah has an encounter with the boat and the Gentiles, and then he becomes frustrated. Tension in the people. Jonah gets swallowed up by the fish, appeals to God's grace and mercy, receives it. Three days, has this prayer, beautiful prayer. Again, acknowledging God and all these things because it's, it is about God, his heart, his character, what he offers us. Again, not just as a benefit, but what we've already received through Jesus on the cross. Not just like, well, God's going to give me grace again because he's in a... Like, yes, absolutely, his grace is, is, is beyond measure. It's daily something that we receive. But it's not just something where we appeal and go, I'll, I'll pray and I'll do these kind of things. You get swallowed by the fish, we get this tension, and we have this prayer. We have this tension that forces Jonah with, to this encounter with God, this prayer. recognizing God's grace and mercy, okay? Then we have the second part. God gives Jonah a command again. Jonah encounters the people of Nineveh, and then Jonah's frustrated again. Now, what we do notice is that with each, each encounter with people, there's an encounter with God of increased 
tension, not just with the size, because it was a boat of people, they get saved, they start saying, if that's the one that's doing all this, and it's because of you, we know what he's capable of, the fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom, amen, they see it and they go, he's the one, they start worshiping him, Jonah's still frustrated, gets tossed over, have this encounter, Jonah goes to the city of Nineveh, now it's not quite a boat, it's a, it's a big city, increasing this thing and increasing Jonah's need to understand who God is because he was just like, okay, a few people, but this city, this is what I was worried about. Tension leads to a prayer, but this time the same mercy is given in both situations with the prayer. Jonah has this, this rescue situation and then that prayer leads to the same mercy being dealt to the people and God's like, what does he say? You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Should I not pity Nineveh, the great city, which there are more than 120,000 persons that don't know their right from their left? God's like, you're worried and you're frustrated over something, and that's what gave you the right going from exceedingly angry to exceedingly glad. But you had nothing to do with that. I had everything to do with these people, their creation being brought in. Not the wickedness, not the evil. I don't want us to mistake that. But he's like, I want them to repent. I want them to be saved because this is my creation from which I love, which my son is going to be given on the cross so that when he dies and he's resurrected, he has the power so that when they put their trust and faith in him, that they may have life. Understanding God's grace and mercy and how that collides and, and is coexistent with his divine justice. And this doesn't mean the words, it's like, but, they, but these people aren't repenting. I mean, God will deal with them. That's not your position. Our position is not to be able to like, all right, judge, let me, I mean, let me, let me tell you who needs to be put in shackles, who needs to go to the pits of hell, who needs to do that. That's not our position. Our position is to be able to show that God is it. You should worship him. I've been given grace that I've never been able to encounter with anything else in my life. I've encountered the gospel, and I'm telling you right now, the gospel is shocking. If we are not shocked and overwhelmed and overtaken by the gospel saying, but me, me, you love me? That's why Jesus went to the cross, because of me? It's like, yeah. But I want you to understand that it's not just all about you. It's because the love of God for you that held the Son on the cross. The blood was poured out. The power was given so that we may have life with him for eternity. Not so that we may have life to have freedom without him and just be able to do our own thing, but it's all so that we can be in pursuit of him because he's been in pursuit of us. God plants, not just a plant in this situation, but wisdom so that we can have a foundation and a fear of the Lord, not to be scared of what he's capable of, but to know like God can show grace and mercy even to the people that I don't think it should happen to because I've been given it myself. I'm standing in front of you knowing that I've been given a ton of grace and mercy in my life. Even before I decided to follow God. But Jonah, his concern was not God's concern. So we have to ask ourselves a few questions. How is pride leveraging our perspective? Are we trusting in Jesus? And I go, yeah, absolutely. But there's moments where we say, are we allowing him to lead us? Or are we trying to walk like the child frustrated, like mom and dad's telling us what to do? Because here's a statement I want us to really focus on. 
In order to follow Jesus, you have to be willing to let him lead. In order, to fo- in order to follow Jesus, we have to be willing to let him lead. Especially in the situations where we're like, I don't know if I agree with this. He's like, I'm asking to agree. I'm wanting you to understand me, my heart. Are you, are you in pursuit of me or the other people? Are you trying to have a relationship with me or the person next to you? If it's me, then understand me. Let me lead. Let me show you. Let, let me take the opportunities for you to grow and be able to be transformed. Pastor Steve went over the prodigal son. We talked about the son left and, and you know, he spoiled all the, 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 the wealth that was supposed to be his and asked for it from the father. And when he came back, he was like, the father's like, Clothe him. Throw a party. This is amazing. My son has returned. But today I want to talk about that last little piece with the brother. So I think a lot of this has to do with maybe even us and how we kind of focus on things and our, again, the pride that says, but wait, hold on. I expected, and this is what I thought. But in Luke 15, 25 through 32, this is what it says. After the son had come back, now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. Amen. Hallelujah. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and treated him, but he answered his father, look. These many years I have served you. I have never disobeyed your commands, yet you never gave me a young goat, yet that I might celebrate with my friends. But this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes. You killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It is fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. The brother's like, wait a minute, I haven't gotten, and this didn't happen, and, and the, the father's like, but you've, you've been in the grace, you've been in the mercy, you've been in my provision, you've had, what's mine is yours, you've inherited the kingdom, what are you frustrated about? Do you do well to be angry? We could throw that question in there, right? Do you do well to be angry? Have you not received the grace of the Lord? Have you not been given life everlasting because of your obedience and trust? I am so happy that you've been obedient. But these people, this person, fill in the blank, whoever it is, was lost and now they're found. They were dead and now they're alive. This is a reason to celebrate, not be frustrated, but it's because of that prideful heart, our expectations on what we think should happen and God's like, but this is what should happen. And again, that doesn't take away from the justice and God being able to judge those who do not follow him and put their faith and trust in him. But Soaking in the bitterness and the anger is like taking poison and expecting it to infect and hurt the other people. It's only going to do something to us in our hearts and our understanding and our pursuit of God in the process. It's going to keep us from those growth opportunities. It's going to keep us from that relationship. It's going to further us from understanding who God is and what we've received so that we can be that beacon, not because of us, but so we can empty ourselves and we can be filled up with the Holy Spirit to go out and show the love of Christ. And let him do the judging and let him do all the work because it is him. 
God's heart is, when we see this in 2 Peter, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, that all should reach repentance. God's heart is that we reach repentance so that we can live in light of the gospel. So here's the thing, Jonah did not allow God to lead him. He had a fear of the Lord in a way, because he knew what God was capable of, but he was not trusting in what God was wanting to do. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. We need wisdom. We've been going over this in high school, that wisdom is not just knowledge, but acting upon that knowledge in a way that glorifies God, that allows us to follow Jesus, that allows us to show the love of Christ, that allows us to pursue him in that relationship. We want to get to a point where God isn't just impacting our public life when we're out on Sundays, Bible studies, connect groups, but God exists and consumes our private life as well. So that when we're in behind closed doors and no one's around us, we're not sulking and expecting something to happen that God's not going to do. But we can rest in who he is and his character because we know it because we've received it ourselves. We've experienced that. I don't care how many times I tell my kids over and over again to do something until they understand why. Until they know that it's good for them and that it benefits them. They're going to continue to have to have me tell them over and over again. Family, we need to get to a point where God's not telling us the same thing over and over again. That doesn't mean we can't go back to these simple truths and the basic things. But understanding who God is and his character and not getting frustrated in the promise, in the process. Because when we're in, in our private life, we need to be able to allow him to grow us, mature us, to lead us to a place. And be willing to let him lead us. So that when we're with our personal people, our personal life, our families, our friends, our close groups, that continues to impact us so that when we're, at our, when we're in our public life here at church, we're not just being like, I'm so happy, but in the process, we're just like, that's that person. Like, we don't want to do that. We want to have a heart like Jesus. We want to live for him in pursuit of him so that we can show the love of Christ and lead people to him. Get out of the way. Sometimes we get in our own way and we're just like, yeah, let me show you. And then we're just like, okay, but move so people can see him because if we're not if we're if we're not careful that pride can start to show because we don't want people to go oh yeah i know that and i know that church we want people to go that church i saw jesus there i saw jesus working in the people i saw their hearts for each other i saw them loving on people that i wouldn't expect them to love because they believe in who jesus is and who his character is pursuing. The love, the grace. But again, that doesn't mean it's separate from the justice. We've got to get to a place where we allow Jesus to lead us. To understand that grace and mercy. Let's pray.